Welcome to The Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations for drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, how's it going out there, everybody? Welcome to the Drum Shuffle. Jamie Eads joining you as I do each and every week. This is episode number 131. I hope everybody's having a great week out there in Drumland. We are having a great week over here at the Drum Shuffle World Headquarters. Again, live music is making its return to all of our lives Uh, and I I just couldn't be any happier about that. Actually booking some stuff for myself. Uh, I got some gigs coming up later this fall that I'm really looking forward to, and as you know, my uh, word of wisdom to each and every one of you is go see some live music while you can, if it is safe for you to do so, before it all goes away. I'm super excited. We have a great episode today. I'm going to be joined by Tom Van Skyke uh, after this message from our sponsor, Los Cabos Drumsticks. The best kept secret for drummers is finally out. Los Cabos Drumsticks may look like the sticks you grew up with, but these are not your father's drumsticks. Los Cabos Drumsticks is Canada's number one drumstick brand, and they are coming to a retailer near you. With operations in over 28 countries worldwide, thousands of drummers have already discovered the Los Cabos difference. Using FSC certified wood from Canada and the US, Los Cabos make the finest quality drumsticks, percussion tools, and accessories on the market. The best news, Los Cabos Drumsticks offers you a ton of choice. They have 22 individual drumstick models and 14 percussion tools, many of which are available in three different wood types, maple, white hickory, and red hickory. Red hickory comes from the center or heart of the hickory tree and has been independently proven to be both stronger and more elastic than white hickory without adding a lot of weight. While most drumstick manufacturers have shunned red hickory, Los Cabos Drumsticks has embraced it, becoming the only established stick brand in the world to offer a full line of red hickory drumsticks. To learn more about Los Cabos Drumsticks, visit them online at loscabosdrumsticks.com, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and don't forget to ask for Los Cabos Drumsticks at your favorite retailer. Dare to be different. Join the Red Hickory Revolution with Los Cabos Drumsticks. All right, guys and girls, as I mentioned, we're about to be joined by Tom Van Skyke. And I am super excited about this one. Uh, Anybody that knows really anything about me uh, knows that I am a huge fan of the great Robert Earl Keane. Uh, and his incredible band that he has, uh, you know, that he's been working with for many, many years. And Tom Van Skyke has been playing with uh, with Robert Earl Keane now for 24 years, I believe we determined in the interview. Um, Tom's drumming is just uh, incredible with Robert Earl Keane. Uh, and Tom uh, was the original drummer of the Dixie Chicks. Um, he has worked for many, many years in the Austin, uh, Texas music scene, 
And prior to that, he played professionally in the Dallas, uh, Texas music scene for many years. Uh, Tom is a member of the Austin City Limits All-Star uh, House Band. Uh, he has played with just literally everybody. Um, if you uh, go to his website, which is TomVanSkyke.com, uh, you will see his discography, his live show, uh, you know, bibliography, uh, just an incredible musician. And I was really pumped to uh, reach out to Tom and ask him if he had an hour to spare. And he did. Uh, he is going to be hitting the road here very, very soon with Robert Earl Keen. Uh, they're on tour all summer into the fall. And I am very hopeful to be able to get out and see them on this run of shows. So please help me welcome to the drum shuffle, the great Tom Van Skyke. Hey, good afternoon, Tom. How's it going, brother? Great, Jamie. How are you doing, man? Man, I'm doing well. Uh, how are things down in the great state of Texas today? Oh, well, today, right now, it's sunny. Uh, we're <laughs> we're about to get hit with a bunch of storms again. It's it's felt more like the tropics in the last week than anything else. So, um, but yeah, everything's starting to open up. Some um, gigs are starting to come in. We we have. Uh, Robert uh, just announced uh, feeling good again tour, um, you know, for the rest of the year. So I mean, we're going to be we're going to be out hitting it again. So that's going to be nice after the last uh, year plus. Yeah, man. I mean, I think we're all kind of you know pandemicked out, and it's it's funny. You know, I just started booking some gigs for me as well, and. You know, I, I don't know if I remember how to play a live show at this point. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Uh, we've been we've been kind of fortunate. We've actually done some uh, some shows, you know, even into like fall of last year that were all socially distanced and, you know, you know, very, very careful. Um, um, and a lot of them were just, uh, you know, they were like, you know, half houses or even 25%, which is difficult. You know, like we, we, we did our uh, Christmas show at the ACL Moody theater here in town and, uh, we did three nights and we played to fewer people than we did you know, two years ago, selling out one night. Oh yeah, for sure. So it's, you know, it's just one of those things to where everybody was, you know, just kind of trying to make some money, trying to get something going. And, uh, you know, and I've, we've been fortunate with Robert too, that, um, he converted one of, uh, a barn out on his ranch into a video studio, so we've been able to do all these video projects and, you know, actually tape shows for festivals that were going virtual and, and do that type of thing. And we, uh, we did a whole band project out there uh, called Western Chill that was, uh, you know, Robert wanted the band involvement from the start and, you know, everybody brought in songs and we, you know, just were out there for, you know, like four days of rehearsals and then, did the taping and uh and then put it out there through you know a couple uh monetizing websites so it's like you know we're doing this concert here you know sort of thing and uh, that's actually going to be uh robert wants to do uh, put that out as a record uh maybe sometime this summer i think oh that's cool that'll be that'll be yeah. great well you know you mentioned just now the the feeling good again tour uh that was just announced and 
uh, you know, you guys are coming through my neck of the woods here in central Kentucky, I think in September and the pre-sale went on sale today. And I actually logged on, you know, maybe 20 minutes after the pre-sale started and there were mm-hmm. four seats left. So, oh my God. <laughs> so you, you guys sold out the theater here in central Kentucky in like six minutes. So oh I, man, people are hungry for live music. And, and of course, you know, I mean, I, I haven't seen you guys since, um, I guess it was 2018. Uh, you guys came through Louisville and, uh, mm-hmm. we, we went to the show and I, I mean, Robert and the band, you guys are just all so great, but he puts on such a great show. Um, you know, I don't think you guys are going to have any trouble selling tickets is what I'm saying. Yeah, I've, we've we've been really fortunate that it's you know just even within our our fan base, it's it's almost like a you know like a Jimmy Buffett like cult following almost you know to where we don't get the you know we don't get the radio air airplay and it's just you know it's just sort of word of mouth and people turning you know other their friends on and other people on to us. And, uh, yeah, we've been super, super fortunate, uh, you know, that it's, you know, it's grown every year, you know, since I started like 24 years ago. So, yeah, see, and that's just crazy to me that you've been with, with Robert Earl now for 24 years and correct me if I'm wrong, you, I I guess after Rich uh, Brotherton left the band, you became musical director. Is that right? Well, I actually came the became the MD um, probably about a, a a year or two before Rich left. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, the band is just so good, and you know, we're we're way ahead of of where I need to be in this interview. But <laughs> <laughs> so, so just to kind of back up a little bit and, and give everybody a little bit of your background, um, it, it's an interesting one at that. You know, you've been a part of the, you know, Austin, Texas music scene for many, many years, but you're, you're not a native Texan. You're originally from the Northeast. So mm-hmm. t- tell our listeners, you know, where you grew up and how you got into drumming to begin with, if you don't care. Oh yeah. Um, well, I was born, uh, in New Hampshire and my family lived in, uh, Vermont, New Hampshire and Connecticut. Um, uh, you know, probably for the first 10 years of my life. And, um, I was one of those kids that was, you know, just banging on pots and pans and, you know, making noise and all that stuff from the time I was a a toddler, you know, according to my mom. And, um, she actually played piano and, and church organ. So when she would be playing piano at the house, I would put together these coffee cans, like a drum set, and, you know, use sticks that I was, you know, out in the, out in the woods that I whittled down into like drumsticks. And I just started playing there, um, probably, you know, from kindergarten on. And then, uh, in Connecticut, we started, uh, they started the band program in fourth grade. So that's when I officially started like taking lessons and, and, you know, reading music and doing all that. And then, uh, then like in the fifth grade, we moved down to Dallas. My dad was a teacher. And, um, so he became the head of the science department at St. Mark's school in Dallas. 
And so that's where I spent the rest of my years growing up and uh, studying with various uh, private teachers and just playing in the school band, the school orchestra, you know, pretty much anything musical that I could do, I, I did, you yeah. know. And um, then uh, after, after high school, I went on to study at uh, UNT University. North Texas, which at the time I started was actually North Texas State University. So I got you. And of course, the great Ed Sof and, you know, the the the, the one o'clock jazz band and all those great things, you know, that. that oh, yeah. That, that yeah. Went well, on down I, there. <laughs> excuse me. I actually only got to study with Ed one semester because his first semester was my last semester. Oh, OK. So, uh, I was, uh, when I started up there, um, Colin Bailey was teaching and, uh, of course Henry Oxtell, who was like the guy, uh, teaching at North Texas drum set for a long time. Um, those were probably my main two teachers while I was up there, but, um, yeah, it was, the UNT was great because, you know, I got to get to be proficient in all of the mallets and timpani. And they really, even for jazz majors, you had to play timpani. You had to play, you know, all the mallets and do four mallet studies and all of that stuff. So, yeah, well, it, might, it just makes you a well-rounded percussionist going to a, a prestigious school like that. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I always say that it, you know, it turned me from a drummer into a musician because, you know, <laughs> right. because I was actually doing ear training. I was actually doing music theory and, and counterpoint and arranging and, you know, music history and, you know, pretty much everything that goes with the degree study. But, um, but yeah, it just, it just opened up my world musically immensely. It was, you know, it was uh, it was a great experience, and you know, just a lot of great players up there who I still keep in touch with today. You know, and I run into out on the road, so it's 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 always great fun to to catch up with all the the, the uh, alumni from up there. Yeah, for sure, and you know, I'm I'm friends with some of those cats too. Like you know, Matt Chamberlain's been on the show, and he he's just a monster. And oh and, yeah, you know, Rich Redman was a, a UNT grad. I mean, we've We've had quite a few, you know, UNT folks on here, and it, and it seems like to me, you know, as a a, a non formally educated drummer, you know, it's it's like everybody either came from you know Miami, North Texas, Berkeley, you know, I mean, it's it's just yeah. like you, you hear those same schools over and over and over again. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it it definitely gives gives you a lot of fundamentals um, to to build. And um, it really, you know, some of the some of the most uh, anxiety provoking, you know, auditions and moments and everything <laughs> that I've had were at UNT. I mean, it made the, it made the rest of my life like, oh man, I've already been through this. You know? <laughs> right on, right on. Well, so after you graduated. I mean, I, I guess this is where I'm not as familiar with your career. You know, what are some of the first gigs after graduating? Did you immediately like move to the Austin area or did you stay in Dallas or, or you kind of fill in the blanks between there and, and the first, you know, giant gig that you had, which we'll, we'll name in just a second. 
Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I was I was actually playing professionally around Dallas when I was still in high school. Okay. Um, I started doing. Um, I started actually doing a bunch of theater work in uh, when I was like seventeen, I guess, and uh, just playing in the local and the regional theaters around Dallas, Fort Worth, and and you know being in the pit orchestras and doing everything from you know Godspell and Pippin to Ain't Misbehaving and you know Gypsy or you know whatever it was. Sure. And um, I was kind of working all through, um, you know, the end of high school. And then all the entire time I was at UND, I was playing in Dallas, you know, mostly in Dallas, but sometimes over Fort Worth, um, you know, between three and five nights a week. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, so for me, that was great because it was, you know, UNT was such a cerebral approach to everything. And it was it was all about, you know, learning the, the technique and learning all of the fundamentals of what, you know, what's going to make you a musician. And then on the other hand, I had this thing, gigs, you know, from theater to, um, you know, I played at the Fairmont Hotel, and, you know, doing a lounge gig for a year. And, um, you know, just, just doing those things and, you know, playing in country bands or playing a jazz gig and then, you know, backing up a belly dancer the next night or, you know, whatever (laughs) it was, I was just, I was going to play it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. And, uh, so that, that sort of, that was a different sort of education and one that was just as viable as what I was learning at North Texas. And, um, because it really, you know, North Texas, like I said, was more about the, the technique and the fundamentals, but, you know, the real life, you know, sort of, you know, how to get a gig, how to keep a gig, how to, you know, this thing where you're just going in on the fly and just, you know, sort of getting the skills of being a professional musician. Um, that was more of, you know, that was more of the education that I, that I learned playing the gigs. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, I mean, and we talk about that on this show all the time. It's like, you can be the greatest drummer of all time, but if you're hard to get along with, you're not going to work very much, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, you, you, you have to be, you know, it's 80% about the hang on the bus and 20% about your playing ability, you know? Oh, Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's one of the uh, amazing things with Robert's band is that, you know, there's been like no, no fights or anything, you know, for like the last, you know, quarter of a century almost. And it's, you know, and I see, you know, some clips of like, you know, the police backstage at Shea Stadium and they're (laughs) punching each other in the face and all this other stuff. And I'm going, dude, why? You yeah. know, you're playing your second sold out show at Shea Stadium and you're punching each other in the face. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess some people just like to, to lease misery. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, it like, if I'm playing a sold out show at Shea Stadium, I'm on cloud nine. That's the greatest day oh, of my yeah. life, you know? So it, it's, it's definitely interesting to say the, to say the least, but um, I know that one of the first big gigs that, that kind of came your way was you were the original drummer with the Dixie Chicks. How, how did that gig come about? Okay. Yeah. Um, 
that actually happened through uh, some connections that I had. Um, this was all sort of the era of, you know, I call it pre-Natalie, before Natalie came into the band. Um, they, the, the band started out just, you know, playing on a street corner in Dallas, you know, just sort of busking. And, um, but before that, when I was actually, when I was still in high school playing the theater gigs, um, there was one show uh, that I played called Dames at Robin Macy was the lead in. And it was like this, you know, eight week run of this show at a theater. And so we, you know, we became friends and hung out and went to all the cast parties and stuff like that. And then, you know, everybody goes on, and, you know, does different things. And I was in school, so... After I got uh, after I got out of school, I was just kind of thumbing through the local paper, and I saw this picture of you know the Dixie Chicks are playing at this you know Italian restaurant bar or something called Joey Tomatoes uh, on McKinney Avenue in Dallas, and I was just like, oh my god, that's Robin Macy. So I went down there and you know hung out, listened to them. They were just they were just incredible. And I mean, this was back even I think. Emily, the banjo player, was still in high school at this time. Oh, wow. And um, so, yeah, I talked to Robin, you know, during the breaks and, and met all the girls and all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, before I left, I gave him my card and I was just like, hey, if you ever want to put drums on anything, please keep me in mind. I think you guys are fantastic. So, um, you know, like a month later, I get this call and they were, you know, going to be recording a Christmas 45 of two original Christmas songs that they had written. And um, so they called me up and I went down for a pre-production rehearsal and we worked up the tune. And then afterwards we were just kind of hanging out and they said, hey, let's try this song with drums. So let's try this song with drums. And, and, you know, basically just played with them for, you know, for like two hours after the rehearsal. And then probably, you know, a little, a little time after the, after the uh, recording session, um, I'd get another call from them and they said, hey, we're, we're opening up for Michael Martin Murphy at the Mesquite Arena. We, wanted, we want you to play with us. We want you to play the show. And I was like, okay, great. So went down there and played the show and played, you know, a couple other things. And then, you know, probably six weeks after that, I was working full time with them. Oh, wow. Man, that's so cool. So, yeah, it was, there was no audition process, no anything like that. It was just kind of hanging out. And, and I think, you know, they, they sort of wanted to expand and try some different things. And I just, you know, sort of happened to be there at the, the right place at the right time. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, life is a contact sport. It's, you know, a lot of times it's just about the contacts that you have and, and, you know, how they're nurtured. Yeah, for sure. Well, talk to me a little bit about, you know, how you ended up in, in Austin. Um, you know, because when I look through, you know, your discography and, you know, the live work that you've done, it's, it's literally a who's who of Austin music. You know, I, I mean, I see Dale Watson on here, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the list just goes on and on. Um, at what point did you decide that, you know, that would be a better scene for you than, than staying in the Dallas area or, or, or maybe you have stayed in the Dallas area. I don't know. 
Well, um, it was mostly, um, well, it was a combination of things, really. Um, I had started playing with Robert in, um, like, God, 97, I think. And um, his, you know, the band was all from Austin, and he, he lived out in Bandera at the time. And um, I was still living in Dallas, and I, I actually went through a divorce. So at that point, I had the opportunity to, you know, just kind of, you know, just step back and, you know, kind of look at what I was doing in Dallas and where all my work was that I was doing in Austin. And I was just like, why am I staying in Dallas? You know, it's, it's going to be a lot easier if I just, you know, if I'm actually down in the scene in the hill country. So, so yeah, that, that's what prompted my move down to Austin was, you know, pretty much because I was, you know, I was working steady with Robert at the time and everything else that I was doing with uh, Lloyd Maines. And as a producer, you know, that was all down in Austin. So it was just kind of, you know, moving down to where the work was. Sure. Well, and, and just, you know, and, and we're going to get into the to the Robert Earl Keene stuff in just a second. But, you know, I, I just wanted to real quickly just talk about, you know, some of the gigs that you've done. And we don't have to go, you know, in depth on all of these, but it is literally a, a, a who's who. You know, we've got, you know, Cody Canada and Cross Canadian Ragweed, Charlie Pride, Los Lobos, uh, Janie Fricky, Johnny Lee, Bo Diddley, uh, BJ Thomas, who, who recently, you know, we, we lost, um, yeah. y- you know, which is, you know, just sad, um, you know, but just Hank Thompson, you know, I, I mean, just all these names, it's like, holy smoke, Ricky Skaggs is on here. I mean, you've just played in so many different musical situations. Were, were all of those kind of right place, right time, or was it more of you were just in that network to be able to get some of those gigs? Um, those weren't those weren't like full touring gigs. So those those uh, um, a lot of those would be you know like um, either filling in for a couple shows or. Um, like, uh, like with the, the Janie Fricky thing or the Charlie pride, we would, um, I was playing in a, in a band that we would play, um, you know, a bunch, a bunch of like celebrity golf tournaments and we would be sort of the house band for that. And so everybody from Johnny Lee to Janie to Charlie. And, you know, they would get up and, you know, play, you know, four or five songs a piece and, you know, just for for the entertainment of that stuff. And, you know, that was a challenge in itself because you're learning all this material for all these different artists. And it has to be and it has to be together to where, you know, it sounds, you know, they're comfortable to where it feels like they have their regular band behind them. Yeah. You know, and so the, you know, the sort of the preparation behind that was just, you know, it was, it was pretty intense and, you know, and I, and I've done, you know, some like fifties and sixties shows to where, you know, we'd be playing with the platters and the crystals and the, you know, you name it. And, you know, basically you're there in the afternoon and you have like a, you know, a 30 minute rehearsal with each act. And then you have a dinner break and then you play the show. Yeah. Well, man, yeah, those no, are- so it's, you know, and it's, and it's challenging because like I said, you know, they're, you're 
playing all these different, you know, styles and with all these different artists that, you know, and, and, and it's amazing because you're playing all these songs that, I, you know, that you sort of grew up hearing. And then it's just like, wow, I'm playing with these people, you know? <laughs> yeah, well... Um, I mean, it's, you know, and I know that you've done a lot of work with, you know, Austin City Limits is kind of part of their, you know, their all-star house band. And, and mm. that, that list is just to die for as well. You know, Chris Christopherson, Cheryl Crow, Bonnie Raitt, Mavis Staples, Willie Nelson. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Um, it, you know, having all that on your resume, you know, is one thing. It's another thing to get to experience that. And, you know, the one name that sticks out to me a lot, I grew up a huge fan of Billy Joe Shaver. And I know you did some work with Billy Joe. Um, mm. Man, what a loss that was to to songwriting in general, in my opinion, you know. but Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we, every, uh, you know, and Robert, we, we usually do, uh, you know, a Billy Joe Shaver, just throw it into the set list every now and again. And, and you know, Robert met Billy Joe back in, God, the 80s when Robert was living here in Austin and just playing, you know, to, to five people at, you know, at a club, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that influence goes way back, but yeah, he was, uh, he was, he was a character, but, uh, he, he had, uh, some just incredible songs and, uh, the big, the, the most memorable, uh, thing for me with Billy Joe was, we were playing a festival out in Santa Cruz and um, Billy Joe was on the bill and then we were closing it out and it was like the first father's day after his son Eddie had died. And we got him up on stage and, you know, to sing a song and he goes, I want to do live forever. Oh wow. And I mean, we started and I mean, God, the crowd was just bawling and every side of stage was bawling and everybody on stage was bawling because it just, you know, it was just one of those moments of, you know, you were hearing him sing the song that he wrote and he was singing it, you know, to his son and with his son, you know, still around him. Yeah. And it was just like, oh man, that's, you know, I'm still getting chill bumps just thinking about it here. <laughs> yep, man. Yeah. I mean, and you know, everybody, it seems like if you're fortunate enough to have a, a, a Billy Joe Shaver story, they're all epic. They're all always good. You know what I mean? Oh, and oh yeah. Yeah. I, I was playing in a band uh, back in the early 2000s and Billy Joe came to town and played a local festival here and we were on the bill right before Billy Joe. We we got to open up for him and, you know, he pulls in driving the van like he's driving mm-hmm. the van, you know. Oh, yeah. And the, it, it, what you saw was what you got. And, you know, I walked up to him when we got done and I was like, it was just such an honor to get to do a show with you, Billy Joe. And and he goes, Man, you guys are just a real good band, and you're awfully goddamn loud too, you know. And <laughs> and just just patted me on the back, and then he walked out in front of the microphone, and he said, "I'm Billy Joe Shaver, and if you don't love Jesus, you can go to hell." I mean, that was his introduction. 
<laughs> to the crowd. I mean, it was just epic, you know. I mean, the guy lived it. He really did. So I, I just, oh, yeah. I saw that on your resume and was like, wow, you know, what, what, what a great guy. Yeah, he did not. He he was not. Uh, he was not formed by somebody else. He's just you know <laughs> what what you what you saw was just what he was. You know from you know, and same way on stage, off stage. I mean, he was just he was just Billy Joe, man. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, I I definitely want to spend some time talking about your you know, many years with Robert Earl Keane. And, you know, I, I think I think there's two distinct groups of people. There are those that absolutely know Robert Earl Keane and are huge fans and those who are yet to discover him, if that makes any <laughs> sense. Um, totally. My wife and I have that discussion all the time The um, because it's like, you know, you either never heard of him or you're just really a fan. And there's really not a gray area in there of like, well, yes, yeah, I think I've heard of him. You know, it's always like, oh, my God, it's, you know, you know, I'm the biggest fan and, you know, I've seen him a hundred times. And then people like who? <laughs> yeah, right. Well, so. <laughs> the, the way I can delineate the crowd is, you know, I, I say Merry Christmas from the family or mm -hmm. the road goes on forever and everybody immediately goes oh yeah of course right so yeah yeah but you joined the band in 97 and you know i would mm -hmm. argue that that was at the absolute you know at that point robert earl could have sang the phone book and it would have been magical you know i mean he was yeah. i mean just the songs, right? That was the time period where everything just really started working for him. Um, what was it like catching on to that freight train that was going a hundred miles an hour? It was, it was pretty amazing. I mean, the first, the, the interesting thing is that, um, my last show with the Dixie Chicks, we opened up for Robert Earl at Floors Country Store in Holotus. Um, and that was like, I guess about nine or ten months before I joined Robert's band. But wow. that was the last show I played with the Dixie Chicks was opening up for Robert. And... Um, yeah, at the, you know, and at the time I, you know, I had, I, you know, of course I was busy and, and I was doing a bunch of stuff. And so I had, you know, I was sort of one of those who, you know, I wasn't, you know, totally into Robert's music at the time, but I was aware enough of him, you know, in the, in the scene around Texas. Sure. And, um, so yeah, it was, it was interesting because I, you know, that, that was the only time that I had seen Robert was when we, when we opened up for him. And, um, when he called me, you know, nine months later to cover this, you know, string of dates up in the Northeast, um, the first show was it in, uh, Tramps in New York. And it just blew my mind as soon as we started playing because the crowd was singing just as loud as Robert was. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, my God, they freaking know every word. This is amazing. Yeah. You know, and it's and it still has that energy to this day. 
Yeah. You know, whether we're playing a festival or a theater or like uh, we did uh, an opening spot for George Strait on his farewell tour. And we, we were playing at uh, Reliant Stadium in Houston. And whenever Robert sang the first three words of The Road Goes On Forever, like 80,000 people just started screaming at the top of their lungs. <laughs> yeah, it was, man. It was the most, you know, that was the most energy jolt that I'd ever gotten on stage. It was, it was that was amazing. But, um, but yeah, even back in 97, I mean, you know, up in New York and Boston and everywhere else that we went on that run, it amazed me that even up there that there was, you know, this, these packed places that they were singing every single word of his songs, you know? Well, and I think that's the cool thing about, about Robert Earl Keene's music. And that is, you know, he, he started out as kind of a, you know, I, I'm probably going to say this the wrong way, but I, it's the only way I know how to say it. He kind of started out as a folky kind of guy and, you know, mm-hmm. he and Lyle Lovett were, were good friends, you know, and, and went yeah. to school together. And, you know, Robert Earl at first was kind of that same sort of vein. And then, you know, he he switched to a more, dare I say, country sound. But essentially, he was creating the next wave of Americana. I, I just don't think they called it that at that time, you know, in, in the yeah. in the early 90s. But he started writing these songs that are just, you know, indelible, you know, it's mm-hmm. um, I, just all of those songs. And, the, you know, the first time I caught wind of him was, you know, really early 90s. Joe Ely had put out a record and he had The Road Goes On Forever on his record. And I was like, who wrote this? Was it Joe? No, it was Robert Earl Keen. So then I went down the rabbit hole and was blown away by the writing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Now that's, that's one of the things that I've, I've been spoiled with over the years is that, I mean, the writing of the songs is just, is, it's magical. Um, and almost every song to me is like a movie. Yeah. He has the characters in his songs are so well-defined and, you know, the song flows just as you, you know, just like you're watching a, a great movie that's, you know, that's been filmed. And that that's a talent that, I mean, is is very, very rare, especially these days. Um, but I think he, you know, when he was uh, doing doing his solo thing, he was touring around with Guy Clark and he was touring around with Towns Manzant and doing these other things. So, I mean, he had those, those people that he was, that he was tapping from, Sure, you know, and, and he could, t- you know, and he, you know, took the best of Towns and took the best of Guy and, and just sort of, you know, created his own thing, you know, beyond that. And, um, yeah, I mean, he just started off playing just solo guitar and him and, uh, he kind of jokes that, you know, he just started adding band members out of self-defense <laughs> because, you know, it's just like, okay, this, this guitar isn't cutting it with this crowd anymore. So I need to get a bass and a fiddle. And then after, you know, after the, the live, the first live record came out, it was just, you know, you know, all of a sudden all the college kids got a hold of them. 
And he was just like, oh man, I need a drummer. So yeah, <laughs> right. he just, he just kind of kept adding and adding and adding, you know, as, as it went on. Um, but the other amazing part too, is that, you know, with Robert, he really doesn't make the same record twice. Oh no, 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 no. You know, and each one is stylistically different and thematically different to where, um, you know, so, I mean, we did a blue, a straight, straight up bluegrass record to where I only played like on two tracks and I think I sang on two or three. And, um, and then we toured just with a straight up bluegrass you know, set up, you know, for an entire year in 2015. And, you know, I was just playing a little 16 inch kick drum and a stand up snare and something, you know, and one sound effect thing, you know, that I used on the record to hit on this one song. And that's what I toured with for an entire year. Yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming you felt a little naked doing that. I mean, that's, that's a little bit out of anybody's comfort zone, right? Yeah, unless you're like Slim Jim Phantom and you're used to playing standing up or something. But right. um, but yeah, that was that was that was such a bizarre you know thing, uh, you know, just being that stripped down and and yeah, naked is actually a really good a really good word for that because uh, you don't have. You know, as drummers, you're used to having cymbals and drums around you, and you're farther away from the, you know, from the crowd and all that other stuff. And then all of a sudden, you're, you know, standing on the front of the stage with everybody else, you know, standing up, and it's just like there's nothing around you. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've done some acoustic gigs, you know, where it was a singer songwriter kind of thing, where you have, you know, a kick drum, a snare drum, and maybe a ride cymbal or or even, you know, brushes on a snare and a tambourine or something. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and oh, yeah. My, yeah. my skin just crawls because it's like, gosh, you know, it. but it really does open up your playing. You have to play oh, absolutely. differently. And, and it makes you play better, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was, uh, you know, like I said, the, all the records are different is that we, we did one record um, – Oh, uh, called Farm Fresh Onions. Um, that was, you know, basically Robert, you know, wanted it to kind of be, you know, sort of groovy and rocky and all this other stuff. And then um, we did the next record we did that uh, Lloyd Maines produced was called Ready for Confetti. And in the pre-production, I I was talking with Robert and Lloyd, and I said, "So, what's the vibe of this record? What are you, you know, what are we going to be doing?" And he goes, "I don't want any symbols on this record." <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, you're kidding, right?" And he goes, "No, I'm serious. I don't want any symbols." And I said, "I said, can I at least have a hi hat? And I'll put like go tubes and shit on it." And he's like, "Okay, you can have a hi hat, but I don't want any symbols." Oh man, no, so, no pressure. Yeah, so the, yeah, no pressure. I mean, you just have to rethink the, you know, exactly how you've been playing for the last thirty years. Right. Um, uh. But uh, but it was amazing because, it, you know, it sort of forced me out of my comfort zone, and I had to rethink how I, you know, would address, you know, different parts. You're not just, you know, going into a chorus and playing a fill and hitting a crash cymbal. 
you have to sort of make the seamless transition as well as, as lift the music up for the chorus. And so, you're, you know, I did a lot of experimenting with sounds and doing different things and playing different, you know, using mallets or, you know, brushes or sticks or, you know, whatever, you know, putting tea towels on whatever with a, you know, with a goat hoof, you know, with a bunch of goat hooves in, on it, you know, just coming up with different things. It was, you know, it was, it was fun to get sound for sure. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, I got to talk to the great Jay Bella Rose once, um, after, you know, he, he had done that raising sand tour with Allison Krauss and Robert Plant. Oh yeah. I, I got to see that. That was an amazing tour. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was playing on an old Slingerland rolling bomber kit and, you know, he didn't have a hi hat on oh, tour yeah. with him. And, you know, I asked him after the show, I was like, man, how hard is it to play without a hi-hat? And he was like, man, I've got a mandolin player. You know, I, am I going to compete with the high end of the whole mix? You know, he was like, no, there's no yeah. reason for it. You know, I'll use a shaker, you know, or, or something like that. Mm. So I, I just think it, when you can think outside the box that way, it opens up a ton of possibilities for the music. And to that mm -hmm. To that end, you know, for folks that, you know, maybe aren't familiar with Robert Earl Keane's music, if they go back and buy the, the records from back in the day, you know, the early 90s, mid 90s, and listen to a song, at, at, mm -hmm. for example, like Corpus Christi Bay, the way it sounds on the yeah. record is completely different from how you guys play it now. I mean, now it's more of a, oh, yeah. you know, a rock grooving rock song, whereas it was definitely, you know, country when it was, you know, put out on the record. So the way songs evolve over time is amazing as well. Uh, you know, it, it, does Robert just give you free reign to say, hey, how should we be doing this? Um, he gives he gives everybody free reign in just the just the fact that if anybody has an idea about something, you know, we can bring it to the table and just say, Hey, let's try this. Let's, you know, um, you know, like you said, the, you know, in a, we're constantly, constantly evolving the tunes, you know, just to where we're thinking. Cause you know, we've played, I, I, you know, I, I did the math one time and I can't even remember what figure it was about how many times I played the road goes on forever. <laughs> 73,462. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah right. Then, you know, divide that by all the 16th notes and by 10 <laughs> minutes. And it's, it's a lot of notes, man. Yeah. For um, sure. but but we're, yeah, I mean, the, you know, I'd love to have you come out to the show when we're there, you know, later on this year, but it's the, probably the version of the road is totally different than the last time you heard it. Okay. And just because, you know, Robert had an idea and we had, um, when, um, you know, when Rich, uh, left the band and then also, uh, our steel player, Marty left the band, uh, last July you know, we sort of had to go back and rework some things. Sure. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's it's a constantly evolving thing. And even just, you know, uh, me using loops and stuff, Robert's been really, really open to doing all that stuff. Like on uh, Dreadful Selfish Crime, there's a whole sort of jam thing at the at the beginning that's just this loop that I put together. 
you know, and everybody's playing on top of it. And then it sort of morphs into the tune, you know, and then it just ends up rocking out. Yeah. Which is really cool. And, you know, and I've, I know what you're talking about and I've seen that version of the song live and, you know, what I find so interesting is, you know, Robert Earl is known as this great songwriter, but he doesn't take himself so seriously that like these are sacred cows that can't be touched, which I find mm-hmm. refreshing because, you know, some guys are like, no, 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 we're playing it exactly like it was on the record. And, you know, so I guess I'm curious about your perspective as MD you know, do you feel like you need to make recommendations on how to change things up or is it more of an organic process, I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, it's, it's more of an organic type thing. Um, you know, sometimes Robert will, uh, come to me and say, you know, Hey, I want to revisit this song. And, um, you know, I don't know what I want to do with it. So, see if you can come up with some ideas and we'll kind of flesh it out. Okay. Um, and you know, for, you know, some things were, you know, over the years, uh, there's this, uh, one song called Mr. Wolf and mama bear that, you know, started off as one thing and, and Robert really wasn't happy with it, even the way it was recorded. So I was just like, Hey, let's try this like South African groove, like Graceland sort of thing. And he totally dug that, but then he got tired of it. So, you know, we're, we're sort of, you know, in the process of figuring out what the next, uh, what, what the next, uh, version of that is going to be. Sure. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, and it's a constantly evolving thing. Cause we, you know, you know, like I said, we've been doing this a long time and, and if we had to play it the same, you know, the same way as we did, you know, 20 years ago, it would just, you know, yeah, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be tough to get up for that. Um, and at the same time, you know, we do, we do a different show every night. Oh yeah. Where for sure. Robert, yeah. Robert just, you know, he will write out a set list based on, you know, his feel for the room and what he thinks, you know, will go over and, you know, something that we've been working on recently or he wants to revisit or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a couple staples that we have to have in there just, you know, because we don't want to get yelled at after the show of leaving (laughs) out Gringo honeymoon or something. Right. Um, but, uh, but for the most part, it's, it's a different, different flow of the show every week, every night. So that's, that, oh, that also keeps it interesting for us. Yeah, I, I'm sure. And, you know, here's the other thing that I find amazing about your all's live show. And I, I don't know, but I have yet to see you guys at any time of the year where Merry Christmas from the family isn't in the set list, you know, so it's, it's just one of those songs that everybody knows. So you could be doing a show in the middle of July and you're doing a Christmas tune, essentially. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you, yeah, yeah, we just did it last week, actually. And uh, usually Robert tries to retire between Memorial Day and Labor Day because <laughs> um, he's like, anytime you're wearing white or linen, man, you just don't want to be singing about Christmas. <laughs> so uh, and plus we've in the last gosh, I guess almost 10 years now we've uh, sort of done this uh, entire Christmas tour sort of based around that song 
Um, and the fact that, you know, we have, we, we end up, uh, you know, packing up a, pen, a full Penske truck full of stage props of, you know, giant tampons and beer can, giant beer cans and all this other stuff. But each, each year has a different theme. So like, uh, you know, last year, um, or the year before was uh, the 50th anniversary of, you know, uh, the moon landing or something. So Robert was just like, you know, back to the moon Christmas tour or something. And um, what's cool is that everybody in the band um, gets to choose a song to do um, as the lead singer, as the lead artist, um, that has to fit in with that theme. So, and the moon landing theme, we had one guy doing Rocket Man. We had one guy doing Space Oddity. Um, we did, uh, I actually dressed up like Michael Stipe from R.E.M. and sang Man on the Moon. Yeah. I, well, I, and I was going to say the costumes are, are what makes that tour so cool, too. You guys have a oh, yeah. a, an actual costume budget, and, and it's amazing. I mean, if you can go see one of those shows, it's it's worth whatever price they print on the ticket. I'll just say that it's it's a, it's a blast for us. And the funny thing is, it's just like we'll. I mean, most of the people kind of get it to where you know we're just out there having fun and we just want to have a have a good time and party and and have a great you know have a great show and just you know just have a blast and everybody gets gets it. But there's always somebody. <laughs> I remember there was there was this one reviewer, uh, this one critic, and I think he was in uh, God uh, Charlottesville, Virginia, I think, to where he just did not get the whole idea. And it was just like, oh, these people didn't look exactly like them. They were doing blah, blah. You know, it's just like, why didn't they have more Robert song? You know, it's just like, dude, <laughs> you just don't, you just don't get it. You know? Well, you, know? You, you do run the risk when you do that every year that somebody sees the name and they go, oh, I know this one song by Robert Earl Keen. Let's go to the show. And then they're just sitting there like. What is happening on the stage? Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's like you're sitting in the middle of a psycho circus or something, <laughs> kind of going, "What the hell did I get myself into?" <laughs> but uh, but for you know, I would say ninety nine percent of the people have a blast. So oh, it's yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot of fun for us. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, look, I, I, Tom, I want to be respectful of your time, but you know, one of the things that I mentioned to you, you know, before we got rolling in the interview is. You know, you have one of the, you know, what I would hold up as as an ideal website for a working drummer. You know, obviously you're very busy with with everything that you're doing. Austin City Limits All Star Band. You know, you tour with Robert. You know, end, endlessly. But if somebody is looking to have you do a track on a song or take a lesson with you, I mean, whatever they need from you you have a wonderful web presence. And one of the things that we always talk about on the drum shuffle is the need to be accessible and how to take control of your own career. So, and I even uh -huh. mentioned to you, if, if Robert came to you and said, Hey, I'm taking a two year break, you're not going to starve to death. It might be a little hard, but you're going to work. So talk to me a little bit about, how you made those decisions to, to keep your name out there, even though you're already busy. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it, it started out, 
sort of a long time ago, even even before Robert or even before the Dixie Chicks. I mean, I always had business cards. You know, back back in the day, those were, you know, for those younger people, they're actual little cards that had your phone number on them. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that if you met somebody, you can hand them your card and they can have your card and they could call you. Um, so, yeah, that was like way before cell phones and shit. So, um, but yeah, I mean, even back then it was... Um, you know, it, it occurred to me that, you know, it was all about the, you know, making contacts and keeping the contacts and also having a, a really good reputation. You know, that's one of the, that's one of the big things for me is that, um, knowing Lloyd Mainsford ever, um, probably going on 30 years now, um, I can say that I've never met anybody who's had one bad word to say about Lloyd. Yeah. And even back, back, you know, when I first met him and started finding out about him, I realized that and I was thinking, man, if I can end my career like that, I'll, I'll have been successful doing whatever I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the reputation is, is paramount, but you also have to have, and I learned this from Robert, uh, as well, is that you have to run your your career and your music as a business you know the the it's you know it's two words music and business and both of those have to be working um in conjunction with each other and if you don't have your business chop you know you have to have your business chops up as much as you do your your playing chops because if you're not if you're not running it as a business and I mean most businesses you know everything from local advertising that you see on it two o'clock in the morning of you know some local insurance company or lawn care or whatever you know that that type of thing you have to you have to have your name out there and you have to have it represented well and professionally. And, um, you know, I, I totally appreciate your, uh, your compliment on the website because I've been sort of, you know, thinking in the last month or so, I'd really need to sort of update it and do a, you know, do a bunch of fixes and some things like that. Um, but, and I'm, and I'm pleased to hear that it comes across well, um, and that's, you know, that's, that's important as anything else. I mean, back in the day, it used to, you know, it used to be all about press kits where you would have an eight by 10 <laughs> and your bio and a cassette tape of, you know, excerpts of everything that you had done. So, you know, basically I, I just sort of approached a website as my old press kit. Yeah. You know, to where I want to have my discography on there. I want to have pictures uh, and I want to have videos. I want to have in, you know, in like handing out the business card, you have to have a contact, you know, link in there. Um, and I've been fortunate to work with, you know, with a, a, a number of great companies over the years. And I want to give them a shout out as well. And in, to the extent of not even just mentioning them, but letting people know why, why I play you know, Mapex drums and Sabian cymbals and, you know, sure. innovative percussion and Aquarian, you know, sure. why I chose those things. And I've been, you know, I've been with those companies for decades as well. 
So yeah, we uh, uh, we have broached the subject of endorsements on this show before, and you know, I I and I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. You'll you'll find about me is when somebody brings something up that I'm interested in, I dive in head first, but. Mm-hmm. I think it says a lot, not only about the company, but about the player, the guys that have been with the same company for decades and decades and decades. It tells me that it that it's truly a two way street and that both parties are easy to work with. Right. I mean, absolutely. When you see some of these cats that have endorsed every brand of drum company for two years and then they move on to the next one they're probably asking for too much, you know, in my opinion. So um, it's, I I think it says a lot about you. The fact that you've been with Robert for so many years, you've been with your companies for so many years, clearly you're doing it the gentlemanly way, obviously. Yeah. I I mean, you know, like I said, I think it gets back to that thing with Lloyd to where I just want to have, you know, a good solid reputation. Um, to where, yeah, I mean, I was always kind of put off, uh, you know, by, you know, certain players who they would have a, a different drum company every tour or every year, you know, it's just like they, you know, it's just like, oh, I thought they were playing this. No, they haven't played that for two years. And they were with this other company for the year in between. And I'm like, how do you even keep track of that, man? Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's just a part of my personality too. I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm very loyal and very appreciative of, you know, all of the, all of the help that those companies have given me over the years and have allowed, you know, you know, to help me and the, uh, just the fact of even, you know, like Aquarian, I mean, I've been with them almost 30 years now. And, you know, they, they gave me a deal, you know, Roy Burns gave me a deal when I was just playing with the chicks when we were just a regional band, but he, he believed in, you know, what we were doing and what I was doing. So I, I mean, I'll always be appreciative to Roy for, you know, stepping out and, you know, bringing me into that family. Sure. Yeah, man. I feel the same way about my gear families and, you know, I mean, I just, you know, one of my A&R guys at, at one of the companies, I'll give a shout out to Dream Symbols real quick. You know, my rep there talks to my daughter probably more often than he talks to me because they're both huge Harry Potter fans. And like, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the kind of company you want to be with. Right. You oh, know? yeah, he, absolutely. He, he's like, hey, have you heard about this new, you know, fan series that they're doing on Harry Potter? And I, it's just that's cool to me. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just rad. So, um, you know, th- those are the kind of people you want to work with, and you know, you're the kind of people that that artists want to work with. You know, I mean, I I think it's just, I think you're spot on. It's all about what did my last gig say about me, and that's going to determine mm-hmm. what your next gig is going to look like ninety percent of the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you have to, you know, even if it's the, you know, 5,000th time you've played a a song or a gig or whatever, I mean, you have to play it like it's the first time in, you know, with the same amount of passion and energy because 
number one, the audience doesn't care that it's a 5,000th time you've played it. And um, number two, there might be, you know, who knows who'd be out there listening or hearing it that, you know, at some point down the line might remember that and think, oh, man, I want to get that guy on this one song or, you know, to record or this one, you know, I'm doing a new record and I want that. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, you have to and it's, you know, I think it all gets down to just basically being professional. Um, you know, just having that professionalism and having that at the core of, uh, of what you're doing and, you know, and it goes beyond just the musicality and the, and the technique, it goes, it goes well beyond that because, you know, with Robert, we're, you know, we're on stage about two hours and not two hours a day. And, uh, the other 22 hours, we're just kind of hanging out with each other. <laughs> so, you know, you kind of have to be able to, you know, have to be, be cool with the hang and be cool to hang with, yep. you know, I, I have said that on this show. Um, you know, I think we're up to gosh, close to 130 episodes and almost every episode I say it's about the 22 hours in the metal tube riding down the road not the two hours on stage. That's the, absolutely the, the time that counts is being easy to get along with in cramped quarters when everybody's a little stressed out away from home. That's where you make your money, really. Yeah. Well, I kind of joke about it. I say I play for free. What I get paid for is the time I'm off stage. Yeah, that's <laughs> I, I've said that before, too, Tom. I, you are absolutely spot on. So. Well, let's let's plug the tour real quick. Um, uh, it's I, Robert's website is roberterlkeen.com, obviously, but yes. all, all those dates just went up. Um, you know, good luck finding a ticket in Kentucky is what I'm going to say to <laughs> folks. But um, those tickets are just now going on sale. So, um, and, and if you want to give a plug as well to your website, uh, you know, for folks if they have questions about your gear or you know, want to reach out for a lesson or something like that, where can we find you? Yeah, it's just straight up TomVanSkyke.com and it's T-O-M-V-A-N-S-C-H-A-I-K.com. Awesome. Now, two things that I want to leave you with, and again, I want to be respectful of your time, but, you know, you, you have some insight and I've never got to speak to Robert about this, but in the song, What I Really Mean... Um, there is a line that says broke down in Kentucky. Is that true? Did you guys break down in Kentucky or no? Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've, we've broken down everywhere, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I, I just want to, we go- were in the desert in Arizona last year. So, I mean, it was, yeah, we were stuck <laughs> for like two days in the desert. So, well, I just want to go on record and say, if you guys break down in Kentucky again, you've got my cell phone number, call me. I'll, I'll be there. I'm not very far from anywhere <laughs> in Kentucky. I will gladly bring you guys a, a cooler full of water and hang out with you till the tow truck arrives. Uh, that'd be great, man. Yeah. That, that, that song, uh, Robert always says it's, it's more of a travel log than a song. So oh, it's, it, it's a know, great tune, man. Great tune. But uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention real quick, um, and you can add color if you want, but you have played for every president since Gerald Ford. Yes. That's amazing, man. <laughs> um, a lot of them were not 
uh, in office at the time that I played for him. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I have played for every, you know, it used to be, uh, every president except Jimmy Carter, but I got to play for Jimmy Carter, um, with Robert a couple of years ago at a benefit for hurricane Harvey. So that's amazing, yeah. man. I mean, I, you yeah. know, I don't know too many drummers that can say that. And I, I mean, <laughs> that, that should entitle you to some sort of plaque or something, right? A trophy. I mean, something. I, yeah, gold watch, you know, some sort of, you know, some sort of secret service detail, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Well, hey, man, um, you're, you're getting close to gold watch status with Robert. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put that out into the universe. Cool. I'll make sure he listens to the podcast, too. <laughs> that, that would be awesome. Well, Tom, man, this has been so awesome. Thank you so much for taking time to come on. We got to have you back. You know, I know that you guys are always recording, but the next time you have something coming out, let me know and we'll have you back for another chat, man. This has been super awesome. Oh, man, I had a I had a great time and thank you for having me. And I would I would definitely love to come back and then hang out more, man. It's like, uh, I feel like I'm back at UNT hanging out with the, with the drum department, man. It's just like, everybody's just kind of <laughs> hanging out and sharing stuff, man. It's, it's a, it's a cool vibe. Yeah. Well, that's the cool thing about the drumming community is we're always up to help out the next guy. And, you know, I mean, I think this has just been super useful for everybody. So we'll, we'll absolutely do it again. And, uh, you know, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it, brother. All right, man. Well, thank you for having me. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. All right, guys and girls, that is going to wrap up episode number 131 of the Drum Shuffle. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. We simply cannot do this show without each and every one of you doing so week in and week out. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you use to listen to the Drum Shuffle. It helps us more than you'll ever know. The biggest thing you can do to help us is share a link with a friend. Tell them, hey, I think you'll like this show. Send them over to thedrumshuffle.com. We would appreciate that. Uh, and I, I just can't thank you enough in advance for doing that for us. We've got a great episode for you next week. I'm going to be joined by the great Ken Coomer of... Uh, Uncle Tupelo and Wilco fame. Uh, Ken is now running a world-class studio down in East Nashville, producing lots of artists' material these days, playing on a lot of great records. Uh, Ken is just a, a, a gentleman and a scholar, and he's going to be our last episode before our traditional summer break. Uh, as you guys know, I typically take July and August off, uh, each year and this year will be no different gonna spend some much needed time with the family and enjoy some rest and relaxation uh, so make sure you tune in next week for our episode with ken once again many thanks to tom van skyke for taking time out of his busy schedule to come on the show uh, i hope everybody enjoyed that make sure you go hit tom's uh, website and say hey from the drum shuffle we answer every single email that we get here at the Drum Shuffle. The email address is thedrumshufflepodcast at gmail.com. Our web address is thedrumshuffle.com. And you can find more information on me over at jamieeds.com. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. We simply cannot do it without each and every one of you doing so. I know I already said that, but I mean it so much. I'm saying it twice. So 
So until next time, may your head stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers, everybody.